I just, I just had a, sometimes you have to be bold and just go do it. Other times it's like you see it and then you have to walk out the process because God wants to accomplish a lot of things along the way. And I'm all, I always seem to be learning that lesson, always. I'll, I, I think I'll learn it fully one day, but then I'll be in heaven and it won't matter. Um, so I'm here. This is my first trip away from home since we moved, and that was in, in June. Um, a number of the churches that I oversee are in our area, so I can just pack up my wife and my children. We get in the car, drive a little bit, and just have a great time. So, you know, my children and my wife don't like you. They're, they're just really upset with you. Now, this is American humor. Come on, would you get with it? He's sitting there going, why does this guy say my... Anyway, um, I have some, some things to share, and I'm going to repeat something I, I shared last time, just to, to start off. Uh, one is, is this. I don't have to be prophetic to notice that most of you are over 40. Okay? That you're 40-something-something. Something. something. And uh, I just wanted to first remind you that for the most part, not all the time, but for the most part, it's the older generation who are the pioneers. It's the older generation that takes steps of faith that are radical. It's true. You know, one of my favorite examples, and I'm not that old, but is Abram. You know the story of Abram. Abram, Sarah, good people, good people. Love God. And then one, God, one day God says, you know, you're going to have a kid. Now think of that. If you're really old, I mean really wrinkly, and all that sort of stuff, and you, you may have gone through the family thing, and you got stuff, and you're, you're still living life hard, and, but enjoying it and all that, and you get this word from God, you're going to have a kid. It's not just, how's that going to happen? Because, you know, normally when, when you're that old, you, you don't think of having kids. And, and I know Abram and Sarah probably had the conversation. You know, and it's usually Abram said, hey, look, God said. <laughs> you know, and they had to, well, how are we going to do this? Do we remember how to do this? You know? <laughs> I mean, really, I remember, but eh, sort of vague, you know. And Scripture was really clear. Their, parts, uh, their, 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 their bodies were as good as dead, which is a nice biblical way of saying that the parts didn't work as well. And anyway, so there's all this. And they also knew that when they had a, if they were to have a baby, which of course they couldn't, but if they were to have a baby, it would change their life. I mean, how many of you are grandparents? Okay, good. All right? You love, your, you love your, grand, your grandkids. Why? Because there's a time that they come, you get to take them, and there's a time that they leave. Right? That's not true when the kids are your own. So when you're like grandparent age or Abram age, you're looking at the kids going, oh, I love kids so long as they're not mine. Right? That's just how it is. But they're sitting there going, so God's promising, promising us one for us. 
Well, you know, the story, they, they mix a little of action with their faith, and they, uh, come on, did you get that one? And um, they had a baby. And, uh, which is sort of a challenge. You know, I, I'm not as old as many of you, and that's not the point. But sometimes we think that the older we are, the less that God would ask of us. That the less transformation and change we should expect to experience. And it's up to the younger generation, right? Let's, uh, let's just be encouragers to the younger generation. Let's give them our experience. Let's pour in what we know and then say, run, boy, run. Right? Well, the younger generation is not just looking for cheerleaders. They're actually looking for older people to run after. Now, this is not to tell, say to you guys, you know, start wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just a bad idea. But there's something about, and some of you may know, you know Keith Hazel, right? Keith, pff, dude's old. And I've ministered with him for years, and he's got a youthfulness and a zest, not just for what God wants, but a willingness to experience change and transformation. I've seen Keith change over the years and, and adapt. And you know what that does for me? It goes, well, part of it is just some macho American thing, like if the old guy can do it, I can do it. But there's also something like, that's something that I can run after. So I just want to encourage this church. I mean, yeah, you have a lot of young people, but don't let, as older people, don't sit there and go, well, we're just here to encourage the young people. We're going to love God, be good people, and it's the young people's time. I encourage you, shoot that in the back of the head. Take it out and just go and kill that thing. I think there's something about what God has for each of you that if you embrace it, the younger generation will actually want to run after you instead of simply receive from you. Does that make sense? So that's one point. Second point, and if you're going to get to a scripture, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1 because I eventually will say something explicitly biblical. Um, I'm going to get some more water here. I'm hoping that this was water left for me. Otherwise, that's just really old water. <laughs> and Oh, thank you. Um, there's another scripture I, I want to say before I get to 1 Samuel. And it's Proverbs 25, verse 11. And um, I started encountering this scripture in a, in, in a really new way, in a really fresh way, um, last summer. And I was in a prayer meeting with a bunch of pastors, and this one guy, a good friend of mine, Dan Mueller, he gets up and says, Brother, I got a word for you. I'm going, I'm ready. And he goes, Proverbs 25, 11. And I go, and that is? He goes, well, he pulls it out, and he, and he, he, he just speaks it to me. He says, you know, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And I go, great word. What does it mean? He goes, I have no idea. I just, I just believe God wants me to share it with you, and it is now yours. And so I just said, okay. So I started meditating on Scripture. And there's an amazing picture there that is, it, if it's relevant to you, it could help change how you do things. 
Have you ever seen a really good painting? It's a beautiful painting that has either an inappropriate or very, very cheap frame. You know, it's still a pretty painting, but the frame just sort of takes something away from it, right? Or have you ever seen a beautiful, like a diamond or e- even apples of gold, and it's just, you just see it, it's like in a plastic setting or it's in the wrong setting? Have you ever seen or heard someone who has an excellent prophetic word, the content of which is impeccable. Yet, the word is carried in a heart that maybe is immature, wounded, or hasn't fully experienced a lot of the grace that God has for him, right? It, does, it, it doesn't say that the word's wrong, but you know how we grow. How we grow is when God deposits something in us, you really can't improve on what God puts in us. Have you noticed that? I mean, let's say God gives you a prophetic gift. How do you improve on what what the Holy Spirit has given you? Many times, it's the setting that makes the difference. And I believe that the setting can be just as much a work of God as the apples. That we can, you can have a call from God and a real mission from God, but your setting, how you walk it out, can change over time. We have a great example of that. Uh, you know, God tells the people of Israel, we're going into the promised land. That's the mission. It never changes. You're, you're, we're going to go to the promised land, we're going to take the land. That never changes. Moses' leadership style was very different than Joshua's. And if Moses' leadership style was employed in the land, it wouldn't have been as nearly as effective as Joshua's. This is a nice way of saying sometimes what, what God has given us is great, but we've got to learn to express it and make it real in different ways. Isn't that true? So, old people, you got a lot going for you. You have the mandate of Scripture to actually take steps of faith. Second, whatever it is you think you're doing right now in church, it's great. God's given a great deposit. Did you feel the presence of God here? You always just as a family going, I love God. I love people, most of them. And it's all this sort of stuff. I mean, what God has deposited here, it's great. He's going to change your settings. It's going to change your settings. And I don't know about you, but changing settings is uncomfortable. You know, as you grow, as you mature, as all of us grow and mature, our settings are going to change. Here's another il- illustration. Truth, a, a true illustration. And I've shared this so many times, I'm sure I've shared it here before, but it's such a good one. Between high school and college, I had an incredible growth spurt. When I was, you know, uh, the summer before um, college, I had a size 28-inch waist. Those days are long gone. And, and I had a pair of blue jeans. I mean, how many of you just remember the hippie days? Okay, yeah. And how many of you actually did a little hippie things? Just a little bit? None of you. 
All right, I'm not talking about smoking dope or anything like that. Oh, she's sitting there going, oh, I did. <laughs> but I won't raise my hand to, you know, it's a screw of my reputation. Anyway, there is something about blue jeans back then were like an art form. Do you know what I mean? you, you buy a pair of Levi's or, or whatever, buy a pair of Levi's, and your goal was to wear them until they were just soft and supple and, and worn out and threadbare in certain places. And then I learned how to sew because of my blue jeans, putting patches on and all the fray. I would get actually excited over, you know when your blue jeans would fray just a little bit from wear, right? I mean, now you can actually pay extra money to a company to have a machine give you damaged goods. But in any case, I love my blue jeans. They fit. I mean, I had invested in them. They were perfect custom fit for me. They were great. I loved my blue jeans. I was also radically unsaved. But in any case, I loved my, my blue jeans. Well, then I started to grow. Now, now, I know you didn't do this, but you probably know people who did. You know, when you, when you start growing out of your blue jeans, you know what your first response is? To, to say this isn't happening and to continue to pour yourself into this thing, right? Isn't that true? I mean, you, well, come on, you've seen it. You see them even now. People are going, those jeans really fit that lady five years ago. I mean, there's just, you, just, you just see it. Anyways, I'm pouring myself into my jeans, Right? And just, and then, you know, wearing a lot of, like, sweatshirts, you know, so people don't see, my gosh, he's constricted. And anyway, so I, I did this for, for a few weeks, or actually a couple months, and I realized this is not going to work. And I, I faced the fact that I had eventually to buy a new pair of blue jeans. Here's the problem with that. Whatever blue jeans I'm going to buy, they're going to be larger than the ones I'm wearing. That means I'm going to have to grow into them. They're not going to be form-fitted, not going to be cussed. I'm going to grow into them. I don't know if I like that. Second, the condition that I have my jeans in now, all the work that I put into these, I'm going to, I'm going to have almost like have to do it over again. Do you know what I mean? And I, I just didn't want to put in that effort to something that would fit me. Well, fortunately, I did decide to buy blue jeans, and I grew into them, and here I am now. But here's the thing. If I had decided not to buy blue jeans, my, my new, bigger blue jeans, here's what would have happened to me. One is, my walk would have been increasingly uncomfortable. Just saying. I could get used to it, but it'd be real uncomfortable. Instead of long strides, it would just be little steps. <laughs> yeah? A lot of effort, but really not going anywhere. The second one is, I probably wouldn't be as friendly as I would have been, and so people wouldn't want to, be, been a, want to be around me as much. Seriously, when you're uptight, people don't want to be around you. Okay? And the third and most important thing is, my capacity to reproduce would be seriously undermined. That's what happens when, as we're growing and maturing, we try to pour ourselves into a good old thing that no longer fits. Anyway, 
So God's changing your setting. Whether you're old or young. I mean, that's just, he's a good father. He's always giving us something bigger that we can grow into and it'll cry, you know, take a lot of work, but the, it's not just so that we can feel more comfortable. There's a reproductive issue that's so important for the kingdom of God. And that segues us in the first Samuel chapter 1. You with me so far? If not, at the very least, that American sure is entertaining. Um, all right, hopefully you know the story of Samuel. Samuel was a great prophet. Samuel was used by God to turn a whole nation around that the nation had been dominated by the Philistines. The nation had been infiltrated by Philistine thinking. They were under siege by the Philistines, and God used Samuel to say, hey guys, let's wake up. If we'll just repent, we'll be able to have victory over the Philistines. And sure enough, he did his job. Israel's free to move on. You, you know the story. The way I look at Scripture, it's not... The, the only way or the best way, but this is the way I, I, I love to look at Scripture. When I see great, quote-unquote, men or women of God, and when I see all the great things that God does through them, I, I give thanks to God, I'm very happy for that, but my brain is always reverse engineering. I'm always going, okay, what did God do in and through that person so that they're in a position to be used like that. And, and, and it, it's just opened up a whole bunch of things for me in Scripture about not just pursuing the goals of God, but be willing to go through the, the, process, of the process of God. If we're driven by vision without a commitment to the processes, then we will be very frustrated. We will be wishful thinkers. Does that make sense? I hope so. So, Here's this guy, Samuel, great guy. And I go, how did he become such a great dude? All right? And so I went back to the beginning of Samuel, which is the beginning of Samuel. I, I, I want to read and just make some comments as I go. Okay? It'll be directly re relevant to us as individuals and to you as a church family. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf. My kids love how sometimes I, Tohu, uh, the son of Zufite, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Now, he loved Peninnah. I mean, he had a love for her, and obviously he slept with her, and had intimate relationships, but he had a special affection for Hannah. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. He didn't say, he, he didn't just take pity on her. He loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. 
Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Let's just stand back just for a second. I want you to capture this. Now this is a great church, but this church is not really known for, for church growth. Okay? That's not, that's not a slam at all. Don't you hate being around other people from other churches? So how are things going? Oh, our church is great. In the last three weeks, we've tripled our size. And you go, well, praise God. You know what I mean? Praise God. We'll be praying for you. You know, and it's, it's not an ungodly, je- well, maybe an ungodly jealousy, but you just hear all this sort of stuff. Or real, let's say you're struggling with finance, you're doing everything you know, God's told you to do, and you're still struggling with finance, and someone, someone goes, praise God, what? I won the lottery. What? Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even invest it. I didn't even gamble. Someone won the lottery, and then God told him, give me the money. Praise God, I've got 10 million pounds. And you go, well, praise God. You know, there, there's something about when, where, where there's things that we know could be available to us, it's irritating when other people have the same thing. It doesn't have to be jealousy. Really, have you ever just tried to lose weight and, you know, you're, you're eating right and you're jogging, you're doing all this sort of stuff, right? And there's someone, you know, who, who started out the same as you and they sneeze and all of a sudden, boink, there they are. Beautiful. Everything's good. And you know, how'd you do that? You know, there's just a, a right, there, where, where we want to be fruitful in a certain way. Other people are more fruitful. It's irritating. Now, this is what was happening. I mean, maybe in a little more exaggerated way. This is what's happening. Peninnah is <laughs> provoking her like, Hi, Hannah. Got any kids? Oh, no. <laughs> well, I just, I just dropped three yesterday. You know, just irritating, irritating, irritating. Just, that's how it is. This is how my mind works. Okay, I'm not saying this is what was in the mind of God when he wrote this, but just go with me. Anyway, so this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? He really loves her. And look, he, he is sleeping with her. He's having intimate relationships with her. You know, they're not having kids. But he's expressing affection to her. He loves her. His presence is right there. And he's blessing her. And he's going, hey, honey, we don't have kids, but I'm with you all the time, and I'm blessing you. What more could you want, right? Now, if the Lord Jesus came to, to you, and he, and he said, so, am I more than enough? Now, for those of you who are biblical teacher scholars, you're going to think I'm going to say something heretical. Just hold on to that thought until I'm done, okay? If Jesus comes to you and goes, aren't I more than enough? We think the right answer is this. Oh, God, there is none like you. You are my portion I don't need anything but you. Right? We think that's the right answer. Well, put it this way. Hannah didn't think that was the right answer. Uh, You'll see this as I work this out. But you know what Hannah basically said? She's going, I appreciate, I love your presence. I appreciate, I love your blessing. 
I'm not diminishing that. But my mission as a woman importantly includes having babies. My mission is not just to experience your presence and your blessings. My mission includes, importantly, reproducing and having babies. Unless and until I have something from you inside me, growing in me, that I can give birth to and care for, I won't be fully satisfied. How do I know she actually felt that way? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, she was not comforted by Elkanah saying, look, isn't my presence, are my blessings enough? She's going, thank you so much. But no! In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow. I mean, it wasn't just wishful thinking. This is serious. She made a vow she said, Lord, uh, saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me. By the way, do you think she's being ungrateful? That she's not being content in all circumstances? I mean, she's got the presence of her husband, the blessing of her husband, and here she is sitting on, I need to have kids, and if I don't have kids, I'm miserable. So there's something wrong with her. Something to think about. And if you only look on your servant's misery and remembering, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Just give me a kid. Just give me a kid. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor shall be used on his head. Hopefully by this time you see there might be a parallel between this and some sort of evangel heart for evangelism. The family of God is structured in such a way by God to be the object of his affection, the object of his presence, the recipient of his presence, and the blessing and all that. It's also designed in an important way to have babies. It's not an add-on. It's not one of those options. It's part of the overall mission of a church. Now the cool thing about God is if a church won't reproduce, that's all right. He'll still feed and care for it. He won't even condemn it. He won't go, you're not doing your mission. He doesn't do that. But if you're sort of on mission or even say your mission, if there isn't babies, there's something you're going, something's missing. She's sitting there. The only deal she cut was this. God, just give me a kid and I'll make sure he, uh, he's owned by you. I'll give him over to you. Which is a beautiful picture of her making commitment to the Great Commission. Look, I want to have kids. I want to disciple people. I'll, but this is how I'll do it. I'm not just going to teach them good things. I, I, I want this kid so that they'll be owned by you. I will lead them and care for them so that they're owned by you, not by me. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. 
Eli thought she was drunk. You know, sometimes when you start feeling dissatisfied, not with your life, but with where you are in the purposes of God that have for you, after a while you just get a little, mm-hmm. people go, what's the matter with you? You got a lot of stuff. Yeah, but. Have you ever had that yeah, but feeling? I love my marriage. I love my husband. I love my wife. But I know there's more. Have you ever I know British people don't do that. Okay, well, you're weird. You know, or, or unless, unless it's your favorite, I'll say it, your favorite football team. It's really a soccer team. But your favorite football team, you know they have potential, but they don't play to their potential. And don't you get all mad you sit over a pint of iced tea and, and just go, you know, you know, we should be playing for our team because they're not going for it, right? It's that sort of feeling. Anyway, she's sort of like that. She's actually going, this is bothering so much, I'm going to pray as if it's important. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were not moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. And Eli went, yeah, we know that. No, he didn't say that. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. When's the last time, really, you said, you know, what God has for me, I'm not experiencing the fullness of it, and now it's starting to irritate me. I'm so thankful for all the things that God is to me, what he's done for me, but I know there's more. Have you ever said, God, I really want the more? You know, there was a guy named Caleb. He was older than a lot of you, maybe most of you. And he'd done all this fight, and he'd done all this stuff, helping bring people in the land. And as an old guy, he goes to Moses and goes, okay, give me my inheritance now. That kind of mentality. If a young person goes, give me my inheritance now, he's like, look, buddy, you got to go through some process. But there's something about an older person says, I've done this, I've done this, I've got this, but now I want everything. I want the fullness of why I'm here on planet Earth. It's not a prideful thing. It's not a prideful thing. Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you, what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. There was hope. There was an encouragement from the Lord. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel. Why did she name him Samuel? Because I asked the Lord for him. Not the Lord gave him for me, to me, because I asked for him. I wanted him enough to ask. Now here's a couple things I just want to share with you. In Scripture, we see that she, she, she wants the baby enough to ask. She gets pregnant and the scripture is silent about what happened between when she got pregnant and when she gave birth. Why? Well, the reason is, it's fairly commonplace. 
matter of fact, Hannah wanted a baby, and she'd been around people who had babies, and she actually had Peninnah. So she'd seen the whole process. And with her eyes wide open, knowing what pregnancy involves, knowing you know, the suffering that she would endure, but for the joy set before her, she said, I want a baby. I want a baby. She, as much as she could, she knew what she was going to be getting into. Here are some of the things that she knew that anybody would know. If you want a baby enough, and if things work right, these are the things that will happen to almost any woman. And if a church really wants babies enough, these are the things that will happen to a church. First, when you get pregnant, your internal mechanism starts changing. Sometimes it's morning sickness. But then you just know something's different deep on the inside of you. It's just different. You can, act, you can look the same, but on the inside, you know you're being reorganized. Your chemistry is changing. And you, you get sick every so often. And ladies, how many of you had morning sickness? You guys are, okay, good. I was in a church one time, and really, they were sort of boisterous, very transparent. I go, how many of you have ever had morning sickness? And nobody did, and they weren't lying. They were just tough. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, all right, I just want to get in that. Okay. The second is the diet changes. And usually their, their physical activities change. Why? Because some things you used to eat, which were okay for you, you can't eat because you're carrying the baby. You know what I'm saying? It's really weird. You're, no, you have this, you're carrying this consciousness that you're no longer just living for yourself, even in a good way, that you're carrying something. And what you eat will have direct effect. How you live will have direct effect on the baby. There's actually a scripture right here. Let me find, I'll get it for you. On my cool, easy, and convenient iPad. First uh, Timothy 4.16. Just, just saying. Watch. Attend to. Be circumspect. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch how you live and how you think. Watch it closely and persevere in them because if you do, you will save or make whole both yourself and your hearers. How you live, how you think will affect those that have been entrusted to you. This is how it is. And so your, your diet will change. I mean, if you're a parent who cares, okay? And then you'll start to show. You won't have to tell anybody you're pregnant. Really, it's just one of those. People have been asking me, are you pregnant? And I go, no, I'm a guy. <laughs> but there's something about you know, when you're pregnant, there's a glow, the, your priorities are different, you walk, and then your walk changes. I mean, I mean, literally, you go from walking to, yeah, but really your walk changes, and you're actually just a little bit more careful sitting down. Why? Because you're carrying the baby. And the more you carry it, the more uncomfortable it is. But, it, you know, if, if you've ever had a child, something happens when your baby's kicking, and, and your wife says to you, the baby's kicking. And she's uncomfortable, but she's excited about the discomfort. And she said, would you feel this thing? I go, yeah, wow, ooh, gross, that's great. And then you talk to the baby, and then you go get headphones and put it on the baby, right? And this is like at 2 in the morning, and you need sleep, 
you know, all these sorts of things. Because, and it's inconvenient, and it's painful, but you're going to have a baby. Your walk's different. And then, as the baby grows, it comes time to give birth. And ladies, as we all know, it is painless. <laughs> and it's antiseptic. That is like, one, two, it's like straight out of one of those Monty Python movies. It's, it's like, Life of Brian, I think it was, where she would just go, and there it was. But that usually doesn't happen. <laughs> you saw the movie. I know you did. You had to. If you hadn't, you need to. Anyway, he's got good movies, really. There's something about when you give birth to a baby, it doesn't hurt. There's no mess. And what comes out is like a zip file, Right? Or something really condensed that if you just add water, it goes like that, and it's a fully grown human being, no maintenance required. Isn't that how this goes? Right? Isn't that how, isn't that how the Great Commission operates? Well, huh? Well, that's what we try. <laughs> that, was, that was, yeah, only at soccer games. Anyway, she knows that she's going to go through this process. She may not have experienced, but she knows, and in the face of painful delivery, messy, and then you got to take care of this thing, change diapers and put up with all that sort of stuff. In the face of that, she's sitting there going, I want a baby. I want a baby. I really want a baby. In full face of that, I want a baby. The, the number one, I believe, the number one reason why churches don't grow is because of the knowledge of the great inconvenience of living the Great Commission. Just saying. I love teaching, but people are a pain in the butt. They really are. Anyway, she also knew that after she gave birth, no matter how many sit-ups she did and all the other stuff and treatments, you know, vitamin E treatments, she'd always bear the marks of what she carried. Always. You you, unless you're a TV superstar and you get liposuction and all that sort of stuff, you are changed by what you carry and what you give birth to. You're changed. She wanted the baby enough. And I'm just building this in there. I'll bet you that once she knew she was pregnant, she and Elka, Elka and I had a couple conversations. You know, now that I'm going to be pregnant, I love the way things have been set up, but I'm going to be having a baby. That means I believe in government, but how we govern our lives, how we schedule things, how we do things, it's going to change. There's going to be two, 2 a.m. feedings, and buddy, I'm not always going to be getting up. I mean, there's all this sort of stuff. And the preparing, okay, where are we going to do this? You, don't people usually prepare a little room, you know, invest a little money, and you know, get a little bassinet and all this sort of stuff before the baby even comes? I mean, there's, there's expense, there's excitement. I mean, there's excitement. There's a preparation. When you want to go into the promised land, we go, oh, look at the promises. Let's prepare. And, and you know there's going to be battles, but you don't think of that. You just prepare for the promise. That's what she did. So here's a question. And this is a real one. God's with you guys. 
God has, has blessed you and he will continue to bless you. He will not force issues on you. But here's this one question about Hannah. When did she love the baby? Did she love the baby after it was born and had grown up and she could decide whether or not it could mow the lawn for her? Or whether or not it could carry on a good conversation? Or whether or not the kid would be obedient? Or anything? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Most mothers know. You know when they start loving the baby? Before they're even pregnant. Well, I know Hannah, she loved the baby enough to ask for it and just absolutely hammer God. God, I want a baby. I want a baby. Oh, God, by the way, have you noticed? I'm a troubled woman. I want a baby. I really want a baby. I want to experience the fullness of my of my destiny, not just two-thirds of it. She named him Samuel because, because I asked for him. Thank you for enduring a whole bunch of talking, but we come to just this one point. You can decide how you're going to live your life, or you can just say, God, I want the heart of Hannah. That's where you start. You start with that. If you want to start with a program or an outreach initiative, God will use that, you know, just to get us going. I'm telling you. There's a whole bunch of ways that God will get us, if we're willing, to get more fully involved, more fully involved in the Great Commission. I know this church is already touching so many people, but you know there's more. But fundamentally, we know if all of a sudden our church doubled and everybody's like 20 or 30-something, it would stretch y'all. It would be tough, especially if they have little kids and all that sort of stuff. It'd be inconvenient. Here's a question. You can start thinking about, well, do I really want that? Or I want it, and I'll, I'll throw money at it, but I'll just sort of pray over it. Or do you want the babies? There's something about whether you're old or whether you're young. When you just, God, I want to be blessed. I want your presence. I want to be led by you. I want to be transformed by you. That's all good. But I want a baby. I want someone that I can care, that I can bring into my life, that I can carry and raise up in such a way that they're yours. If you just let me experience yet again my part of the Great Commission, I'd be willing to go through the inconvenience. And if I don't know how to go through the inconvenience, I'll be willing to learn how. Does that make sense? There's no altar call here. But I really believe this church right now is poised, not for any great outreach. And all. There's a whole bunch of God plans that I know that leadership ha has for us. You know, what you're going to do, little things you can do to connect with a What's going to make the plans of God work here is the extent to which people say, I want the heart of Hannah. I want it. God, would you give me the heart of Hannah? Because if God starts giving you that heart, you'll start asking. And when you start asking, the inconveniences, the, the threat of change 
They're not challenges, they're opportunities. You just look at them different. And even if you're not going to carry babies and all, come on now. You guys are old enough to enjoy being a grandparent. Wouldn't it be something? Some of the younger guys bring in some younger families and you go, well, I'm not going to be their parents. But I'll be grandparents. I'll be part of raising them. I mean, there's something about... Have you ever seen grandparents when you get grandkids? They could be old. They could have walkers. They could have oxygen, the whole thing. But the, all of a sudden there's the grandkid. <sighs> you know? Babies are a pain. They're messy. But they bring life out in us. Right? The prospect of having children is painful. Prospect of being around children is an inconvenience. But when you have the children, it all changes. And it's like, wow. Right? So there's no stand, no sit. You don't, have to, you don't even have to join me in prayer. If you want to, you can. But I'm going to pray for us, not just you, us. For the heart of Hannah. What God would do with a handful of people who'd say, God, just give me one. Just give me one. Talk about church growth. If every person just had one. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence, for your love, your faithfulness for us as individuals and for this church. God, this is truly a glowing testimony of your love and faithfulness. And the, the blessings that we have received uh, financially and even the fact that we've been able to persevere with great joy through very difficult times that's also a blessing you we are a blessed people but we say to you now god we're not mad at you we're not mad at anybody but we see we see there's another aspect of our lives even if we're older that is not as fulfilled as it could be god um in the face of our living out more fully our part of the Great Commission. Instead of coming up with ideas, we just come up with a prayer. God, would you give us the heart of Hannah? Holy Spirit, in a, wherever we're at, if we just turn to you and say, God, would you give us the heart of Hannah? We don't even know if she thought she was a good mama. She didn't, we don't know what her issues were, her insecurities. We don't know if she was good looking or not so good looking. We don't know any of that. But as is, she goes, I want, I want, I want a kid. I want a kid now. God, would you give us that wanna? Would you give us the heart of Hannah? And God, would you even give us the perseverance of Hannah to just keep on asking until you open the womb? And we get to, to receive part of the harvest. Um, to receive some newborn babes in Christ and be able to love on them, put up with their poopy diapers and all that so that we can just train them and point them to they, so they could obey you. God, would you do that for the sake of your name, which we carry wherever we go? Would you do that for the sake of the people that we say we love? But God, right now, would you do that for our sake? Because to walk that out would be deeply satisfying to us. Amen. I can't promise anything.
But I think if you really meant that prayer, you watch what God's going to grow in you. Um, I want to prophesy over a few people. Yeah, I hate to say this, but I think in my heart, this was sort of a general prophetic thing for you as a family. And um, look, if you walk out of here going, I didn't get a word, just listen to the recording. You'll eventually get the word. There's been a word for this family. Um, But some people I want to pick out.